This morning, I want to share a message with you called FIT. I remember when I was a little kid, um, I, I was... Um, I would go, my, my parents would take me to the store to buy school clothes. We would buy a new outfit uh, before school started every year. Any of you parents do that? Get school clothes before school? Some of you, a lot of you get uniforms and new uniforms every year before school, or you get hand-me-downs from uh, the older kid. Anybody, right? And uh, I remember sometimes uh, we didn't have the, the money to get uh, new, new, a new outfit or new jeans, um, but I, hold, I had an older brother uh, who was a little bit bigger than me, and uh, so what, what mom would do is she would, she would get his blue jeans, and uh, we would go down, to, uh, we'd go down to the Dollar General store. Uh, sorry, not Rand's. It was the Dollar General store, because if you can't tell from my accent, I'm from the United States. Um, had, had, was that not obvious? Um, we'd go down to the Dollar General store, and we would buy um, iron-on patches uh, for the for the holes in the knees of the jeans, any of you remember these back in the day? None of you had iron-on patches. Yeah, some of you are old enough to you had iron-on patches too. And I remember getting those patches, and uh, my mom would put those on the jeans and uh, bring them out to me. And they're good. They're they're as good as new, Randy, because the holes in the jeans that had been worn in the jeans, now they were covered by the iron-on patches. But if you ever had those iron-on patches, what you know is that they were hard and they were rigid and you couldn't like bend your knee. (laughs) And it would take a while to get those things broke in. Anybody besides me ever have that experience? Yeah. And I remember that fit and I remember the feeling of that whole being there and taking that new piece of that new piece of garment and trying to put it over an old hole and and it never it never worked right and I remember just a few weeks into the school year always those patches would start coming off the the, the jeans wouldn't fit right it, it never really worked to take that old that that old garment and put and put a new patch on it and I want to I want to talk about that this morning just a little bit in fact Jesus specifically talks about that. And I want to read to you from uh, from the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, it says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Jesus, talking to uh, those that were following him that day, says, listen, you can't take a, a new piece of garment and you can't or a new piece of garment, and you can't sew it onto an old cloth because just like that iron-on patch, it just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't have the same flexibility. It doesn't have the same give. And so Jesus said, we all know that you can't take a new piece of cloth and, and put it on an old garment in the same way that you can't take new wine and put it in an old wineskin. Why? Because new wine will start the fermenting process. And as it starts the fermenting process, if, if you put it into old wineskins, it's going gonna, it's gonna to burst old wineskins. And so Jesus said, listen, if you've got to understand 
you've got to, you've got to operate within the fit. And this conversation that Jesus is having with those that were around him that day was so significant and important because it was in the early part of his ministry. In fact, if you, if you turn and you uh, do and read in your daily 20 uh, this week from the book of Mark, which I would absolutely recommend that you do that. In fact, if you're, if you're one of those people and you're like, Pastor Andy, I don't know where to start in my Bible. Where's a good place to start? The book of Mark is actually an awesome place to start. Um, you, it's actually pretty short, it's fast-paced, and you learn the basics about who Jesus was and, and what Jesus did. And when you start reading in, in Mark chapter 1, I love the way that Mark chapter 1 begins, because Mark chapter 1 begins, and it says this, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah. That's why I love the book of Mark so much, because it starts out by saying, this is the story of the good news for humanity. And then it begins to unfold. And Mark just writes very quickly all of the things that Jesus did. He starts out in Mark chapter 1, and he talks about John the Baptist and how he kind of prepared the way for Jesus. And then when you get to around verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1, you see Jesus beginning to assemble his team, his disciples, kind of his, his dream team, those people who were going to follow him. Around verse 15, John the Baptist has been arrested and Jesus says, okay, now it's time for me to begin my ministry. And so he starts to call people to follow him. And from verse 15 of chapter one, all the way through about verse 14 of chapter three is the story of Jesus calling the 12 disciples of him putting his team together. But the interesting thing about Jesus pulling his team together is that if you were going to start a movement, um, if you were especially a rabbi, if you were a great teacher and you were trying to pull together a dream team in which you were going to change the world, the people that Jesus chose were not the people you would have chosen. In fact, you would call them not fits, you would call them misfits. He goes around and he starts picking people to be on his team he starts picking people to be his followers, and they weren't, they weren't from the great schools where they had been taught all the right things to do. In fact, many of them, while they may have been devout Jews, they were not what you and I would consider true followers of the law. They were, they were people who weren't necessarily in the synagogues. They certainly weren't people who had received all the right schooling or had all the right credentials. They were, they were normal people, a lot like you and I, and they were doing the normal things that they did in life. And so along the way, Jesus started calling these misfits to be on his team. And it's right in the middle of that conversation and, and Jesus is doing signs and wonders and miracles and he starts to call these people to be his disciples and everyone starts to question, wait a minute, what are you doing? Here you are, you're this rabbi, you're this teacher, you're building this movement and, and, and what, are you, what are you doing? These aren't the right people to pick. This isn't, this isn't the right way to build a church in Durban, South Africa. This isn't where you build a church. These aren't the right kind of people to build a church with. This isn't the way you do it. Who do you think you are, Jesus? And every time he would do a miracle, every time he would teach something incredible, you read in those first few chapters, over and over and over again, the Bible said the people would come and they would question him. The people from the synagogue, the religious leaders, they would come and question him, even 
Even people who would have been considered righteous. Remember, I told you, John the Baptist had, had been preparing the way for Jesus. And there were some very devout followers of John the Baptist uh, who, were, who, who came one day in, John, in, in chapter 2. And they even began to question Jesus because the way that he and his disciples were behaving was so inconsistent with the way people perceived being righteous that even they didn't understand. And so when Jesus makes this comment about not taking a, a, a new piece of garment and, and, and sewing it onto a, a new patch and sewing it onto an old garment or, or taking new wine and putting it into an old wineskin, the context of that entire statement is this simple truth. Jesus is trying to say, listen, something is coming. My ministry, what I'm doing, it isn't going to look like anything you've ever experienced before. The kingdom that is coming to you isn't going to fit in the old way of doing things. And if you try to fit what I'm doing in your life in the old way of doing things, it's going to explode. It's never going to work. As I think about who we are as North Place and what God has called us to be and who God has called us to be as a people, what I understand is that we don't always, we don't always look right. We don't always do it the right way. I can tell you over seven years, because uh, we started about a year before we started, I've received quite a bit of, uh, uh, let's just call it advice <laughs> about different ways that we should be doing things, different ways that we should be approaching things, that this isn't the way that we do it here. This isn't the way that we approach it here. And when Jesus began his ministry, there were, the, there were people come to him and say, hey, you should be doing it differently. Why aren't you doing it this way? What you're doing doesn't make any sense. In particular, they began to question the authority of Jesus. When he would heal people, they would question his authority. When he would teach things, they would question his authority. And Jesus consistently was saying to them, listen, the kingdom has come and it doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like. And there's the problem. When you start reading, and again, I would encourage you to do this during your daily 20. When you start reading in chapter 2, it's a famous story where Jesus uh, goes to Capernaum. And he goes into the city. And, and his ministry has become so popular at that point that people are following him around everywhere. He's healed so many people that, that people are desperate to get close to Jesus and uh, you may remember the story. He goes, to, he goes into a house, and there's these people who have a friend who's lame in his feet. Uh, he can't walk, and they're so desperate to get their friend to Jesus that they say, hey, uh, let, let's do whatever we can do. And so they try to push through the crowd, and they can't get through because the crowd is too big. And so the Bible says, you can, you can read it in chapter 2, the Bible says that they climb up on the roof, and uh, they, they remove the tiles of the roof and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine being the homeowner. But these, these guys were so desperate for their friend to receive a miracle that they, they're like, whatever, whatever it costs. So they, they get up on the roof, they remove the roof tiles. You can read it there in chapter two. And they lower the man down in front of Jesus. And so here the man is, he's at Jesus' feet, and Jesus' response to the situation is so, it's so different than what you might imagine. 
Jesus' response to the situation, the Bible says, upon seeing the faith of the man's friends, Jesus' response to the situation is to say to the man, your sins are forgiven. Now, think about that for a second. Here, a lame man has been lowered right in front of Jesus, and Jesus' response is, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I were the guy, let's pretend I'm the guy, and Jesus says your sins are forgiven, um, that's good. <laughs> if I'm the friends up on the roof who probably have a roof bill to pay for now, hey, that's good, Jesus. Thank you. The Bible says that the religious people hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven, and in their heart, in their heart, they start to say, hey, um, who does he think he is to forgive him of his sins? Jesus, knowing what's in their heart, says, speaks out. He says, I can perceive what's in your heart. Do you think it's harder for me to forgive his sins than it is for me to heal him? Then I love what Jesus said. And see, here's, what you, here's why you gotta read your Bible in context and understand that it's all connected. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, just so you know that I have power to forgive sin, I'm gonna show you how powerful I am by healing him. I've read that passage many, many times. I've read that story many, many times. And it, it took me a long time to really understand this truth because I questioned it a lot. Jesus, why in the world, if a, if a lame person was in front of you, why didn't you just heal them to begin with? Interestingly enough, Jesus didn't start with healing his legs. Jesus started with healing with what was most important. Jesus focused on his eternal soul. The only reason Jesus healed his legs, get this, this blows some of our minds. It messes up our theology. The only reason Jesus healed his legs was so that he could demonstrate his power. Jesus said, I'm going to focus on what's most important. Is it possible that for some of us, our theology isn't fitting? Is it possible that for some of us, the questions that we ask God, the questions that we don't have answers to, the things that cause us to be troubled, is it because we don't understand that God is focused on the most important thing? Some of us have minimalized the power of God so much in our life that if we don't see him do this thing, we don't understand what he's really doing in our life. Jesus healed the man not because that was what was most important. He healed the man so that they would understand what was most important. What was most important was that he had power to save gospel is really simple, friend. The gospel is that God, in his love for us, created an intersection in your life and my life in which his grace 
in which his grace, in which his grace interrupts our sin. Their response was, who does he think he is? Jesus says, well, let me show you who I am. I'm not just the healer. I'm the one to bring life abundantly. As Jesus and his disciples continue in chapter 2, the crowds continue to ask questions. Who does this man think he is? Who is this, who is this Jesus all about? The Bible says that after Jesus heals the man and responds to the teachers, that he goes along and he sees Levi, the tax collector, in his tax collector booth, and he calls to Levi and he says, come and follow me. Again, we see demonstrated Jesus choosing the misfits. If there was anybody that a Jewish teacher didn't want to have anything to do, it was a government tax collector. A government tax collector in that day would have been considered the ultimate traitor. As a Jewish person, they had sold out their people and they were working on behalf of the oppressor Rome to extract wealth from the Jewish people. No one was despised more than a tax collector. And yet Jesus saw Levi and he saw him as his, he saw him as someone who he wanted on his team. He saw him as someone who fit. He saw him as someone who belonged. And so Jesus called Levi to come and be on his team, to be a fit on his team. And then it gets even crazier. Jesus says, okay, let's have a dinner and invite all of your friends. And so Jesus and his disciples go to Levi's house and again, the religious people, the religious people turn to Jesus' disciples and they say, why in the world, why in the world are, are you and Jesus sitting at a table with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know? Don't you know as, as a rabbi, you're not supposed to be sitting with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you know that's not the way you're supposed to eat? Don't you know that's not the way you're supposed to teach? Don't you know that's not the way the kingdom is supposed to come? And I love, I love the response of Jesus and his disciples. He says this. He says, it's not, it's not for the well people that I've come. If I only surrounded myself who already got it, what good would I do? If I only surrounded myself with people who were whole, who were well, would I be accomplishing anything? Jesus said, I've come. I've come to create intersections between need and the kingdom. I haven't come to isolate myself. I haven't come to hide myself in the corner. I haven't come and said, oh, I'm so holy that I can't touch anybody and no one can touch me. You want to know why Jesus was murdered? You want to know why he was hung on the cross? He was murdered and he was hung on the cross because as a leader, as a Messiah, as a spiritual leader, he was preaching a different kingdom. He was preaching a kingdom that intersected need. He was preaching a kingdom that came to people where they were and said, let me meet you in your need. Not just your need, but your greatest need. And as he sat at the table with tax collectors and sinners, the religious crowd just didn't understand. And yet Jesus said, no, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. We have a saying here at North Place. 
we say this, we have been called to forgotten people in forgotten places. It's one of our favorite things to say. We say it over and over again, and we prioritize our life and ministry as a church around the idea that like Jesus, not, not necessarily like the religious crowd, and definitely not according to everybody's expectations, but like Jesus, we're going to prioritize meeting people in their need. We're going to prioritize forgotten people in forgotten places, those who don't necessarily fit. And we're going to say, not only, not only do you fit, but we fit with you also. We're going to come just as Jesus did, and we're going to, we're going to have intersection with you. We're going to come. We're going to, we're going to meet you where you are. We're going to enjoy the greatest fellowship that we can with you. We say that because, again, that was Jesus' prioritization, and, and he was rejected for it, and those around him didn't necessarily understand it, but Jesus said, no, that's exactly where I'm supposed to be. Jesus, ultimately, if you keep on reading there in chapter 2, Jesus, Jesus demonstrated that he didn't do what people expected him to do. Instead, instead he said, listen, we're not going to, we're not going to limit ourselves to the old ways, to the old traditions. When he talked about that wine, the new wine being in the old wineskin, when he talked about the new patch being on the old cloth, he was trying to help them to understand that things were changing. Now, I love what one of the things I love about this, and this is why you've got to become a student of your Bible, is there's uh, this same story is recorded in the book of Mark. I think it was Mark chapter 5. Uh, the same story is recorded, and it says that Jesus, when, when, when he makes this comment about the new wineskin and, the, and the, old, the new wine and the old wineskin, he goes on to say, and Mark records a little bit further, and I'd encourage you to go read this in Mark chapter 5 later. Jesus says, listen, people, and I love this because a lot of times you read this and you think, oh, Jesus didn't care about, he didn't care about the traditions and he didn't care about, but that, that, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus was calling them to understand something. The problem was never the old wine. In fact, when you read chapter 5, Jesus said, listen, if a person's ever drunk old wine, they don't, they don't want the new wine. The old wine is better. The problem wasn't the old wine. The problem was the wineskin. Pastor Andy, what does that mean? The problem has never been the revelation. You got to get this. Let this go to a different level. The problem has never been the revelation. The problem was never the fact that the people were looking for a Messiah. The problem was never, the problem was never that the people were looking for a Messiah to come. The problem was that the system, that the system had become such a monster that it was constraining the vision. It was constraining the revelation. And now Jesus had burst on the scene and he said, listen, the kingdom has come. And the old containers, the old traditions can't contain the revelation. And so you've got to get ready for a new container, a new way of doing things. It doesn't mean that you throw out the old revelation. It doesn't mean that you throw out the old wine. It doesn't mean that at all. Instead, what it means is you've got to make room for more. You've got to make room for more. You can't allow your mind, you can't allow your spirit, you can't allow your heart to constrain you to not realize that more of the kingdom has come. 
Jesus said, you don't take that, you don't take that patch and you don't, you don't put it on an old garment because what happens is you wash that garment, it's going to shrink and the garment's going to get torn. That wine is going to cause that to burst. I'm gonna, let me read this to you. Luke chapter 5, this is what I was talking about, verses 38 and 39. It says, no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. No one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. The revelation has always been good. It's what contains the revelation that created the problem. Don't, don't get it twisted up. As believers, as followers of Jesus in 2024, we don't, we don't look back on what the church used to do 20 years ago or 30 years ago. We don't look back with disdain or critique. We don't look back and say, oh, that was bad that, back then. No, we understand that's how God was moving in that season. I, I, I celebrate the way God moved when I was a child in the church that I grew up in. For me to look back and to sneer and to mock and to make fun is simply immature and childish. For me to look back and despise doesn't represent the heart of Jesus. Jesus' conflict at that time wasn't, wasn't with how things had been done. Jesus' conflict at that time was how, how things had been done was, was constraining what was about to happen next. And what he was saying to those who were around him was, don't let the way you used to do it keep you from being able to do the way I want you to do it next. Don't let the way you used to think you worship God. Don't be the way you used to hear God's voice. Don't let the way that things used to happen in your spiritual journey keep you from what I'm about to do next in your life. See, here's the thing. Everything in Scripture, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, every revelation, every law, hear that, every law, every tradition, every feast, every part of the revelation always pointed to Jesus. That's why we don't despise those things. That's why we don't speak down on the, we, we understand those things don't necessarily fit today. They might not necessarily fit tomorrow, but we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because at their time and in their season, they were pointing to the same Jesus that we're pointing to today. Jesus was saying to those who were trying to understand his ministry, he was saying to them, listen, we are moving forward. There will be new garments, there will be new wineskins, but the revelation is the same. In fact, Jesus said, here, the kingdom has come. Let me read to you from verses, Mark chapter 1, verses 23 and 26 to you. It says this, one Sabbath, this is at the end of the chapter, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick up some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Again, again, they were asking Jesus' question. Why are they doing what was unlawful on the Sabbath? Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Jesus 
once again, using something that would have been very common for his Jewish listeners, and they were questioning him, why aren't your disciples keeping the Sabbath? They were walking, imagine, they were walking through the grain fields, they were just picking the grain, and they were eating it on the Sabbath. And you weren't supposed to eat on the Sabbath. You weren't, you weren't supposed to do any work, any labor on the Sabbath. And so as they're picking the grain and they're eating it, those people said, how is it you're violating the Sabbath? Remember, keep, keep the Sabbath. How is it you're violating the Sabbath? Jesus said, don't you remember David? You guys really think highly of King David. Even David, when it came absolutely necessary, he took bread that he, he wasn't supposed to take. Why? Because it was necessary for survival. In other words, what Jesus was saying, yeah, this is gonna mess with some of you guys. I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. Some of us see the world very black and white. We see the world as very right or wrong. There's no margin. There's no margin. And for those people who were questioning Jesus, there was no margin. You either kept the Sabbath, which meant that you couldn't even take a piece of grain if you were walking through a field and you were starving to death, or if you were King David and you were being chased at the end of your life. And yet, Jesus says, you guys revere David, and he took, he took that bread, even though he wasn't supposed to, and I don't hear you criticizing him. Why? Because the moment, in that moment, the patch and the garment, the wineskin, it adjusted. There was flexibility. There's some flexibility. Because see, when, when I was growing up, I was taught that dancing was sin. Does any, any of you grow up in a real holy church like that? So my school would have school dances and I couldn't go. I never learned to dance. Because there was no margin. There was no gray area. It was the law. There was no margin. It was all in a box. It was either 100% hell and bad and terrible or holy and righteous. It was this unbelievable standard that no one could ever live up to. It was the law. I want to help you today. Some of us, some of us, we sense the Lord speaking to us. We sense the Lord wants a relationship with us, and we want a relationship with him. But what we've been taught or what we've seen or what we've heard or perhaps even what we see in others is so rigid and it seems so impossible that we think, how can, how can I have a relationship with God? I'll never be holy enough. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be able to live up to those standards. And here Jesus is bursting on the scene and he's not calling the people who were good according to the religious standards or who knew all the stuff. Instead, he's calling normal, ordinary people. And it's starting to upset the religious world. And they're walking through grain fields and it just happens to be the Sabbath. And he reaches over and he picks some grain and he eats it and everybody's like, <gasps> I can't believe he did that. It's Sabbath. You can't work on the Sabbath. How did he take? Because I'm hungry, guys. 
When God said, keep the Sabbath, don't work on the Sabbath, he wasn't talking about reach over and grab something because you're hungry. It's easy to understand that you're being ridiculous because you're following the letter of the law and not the heart of the law. Jesus says, guys, you're struggling with me because I'm the heart of the law. And the heart of the law gets to the heart of the matter. When your need is presented to me, I, I look past. Jesus looks past the broken legs and he looks at the broken heart. He says, let me start with the most important thing. Jesus begins to minister to the most important thing. And yes, if healing of the legs is a byproduct of that, wonderful, great, let me show my power to you. But let me deal with the most important thing. It's, it's your heart. Let me come to right where you are and let me get close to you in the middle of your, your daily meals and your mess and your everyday life, who you really are. Not, not the pretentious, pretend, show that you put on, but let me come to your house where you really are and get in the middle of your everyday life with the people that you rub shoulders with. Let me be real in your everyday moment. That's, Jesus says, that's, that's where I wanna be. And in those places, in the margin that we know that exists in every part of our life, that religion doesn't make room for, Jesus says, I'm in that margin. I'm, I'm in that margin. I'm in that margin when you're walking through the field and it's Sabbath and you're hungry and all you gotta do is take, I'm in that margin. I've got answers for you in that margin. And that may be too much for some people, but Jesus says it's not too much for me. I fit there. Jesus says, I fit there, and you, you fit there. Let's do this together. And there were people in that crowd who said, that's exactly the Messiah that I'm looking for. One that's approachable, one that's real. That's where I fit. Let me go with him. And then there were others who said, no. No, I want the old wineskin. I want a world I control. I want a system I can control and can explain. And they're the ones who rejected Jesus. We all love to think that we would not reject him. But the truth is, if we're unwilling to let him get to the heart of the matter in our life, if we're not willing to let him push back, push past those immediate, obvious things and push to our heart and really speak to us in the margins of what's complicated and difficult. If we're not willing to allow him to do that, then what we do is we find ourselves like those who rejected Jesus instead of enjoying, enjoying fitting in his kingdom and allowing him to fit into our lives.